friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In Season 2, Episode 25, Sasha interviews Dr. Stephanie Byerly. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. Thanks for tuning in. If you have not heard about the Brave Enough Conference, it is an amazing assimilation of women coming together. And I always say that I have three things I want to accomplish at the Brave Enough Conference. The first one is I really want to gather women. The second is I want to unite women. And the third is I want to inspire women. So if you are looking for some inspiration, maybe you're struggling in your life. Maybe you don't know what your next step is, or maybe you're just totally overwhelmed with life and you don't even know how to get out of the rut or how to get out of the overwhelm. I really want to encourage you to come to the Brave Enough Conference. There you're going to connect with other like-minded women and you're really going to be able to understand how taking care of yourself and spending time with yourself every week on a weekly basis is the key to having a life where you're actually living your own priorities. So check it out. You can go to braveenoughconference.com and it always sells out every year. I want to see you there. I'm so excited today on the show. I have a good friend of mine. She is an anesthesiologist like me, only she does obstetric anesthesiology and where I practice cardiac, but she and I have so many common things. And We really met through our group online and then we've met at conferences and retreats and she has such a passion for wellness and really giving grace to ourselves. She's the kind of woman you want to sit next to and be around because her grace extends to you and her healing extends to you. And I'm so honored to have her on the show today. So I want to welcome Dr. Stephanie Byerly to the show. Thank you, Sasha. I'm so excited to be here. That is, um, I, there's just so many things I could say about you. I mean, I'm reading your bio and I'm like, you're the vice chairman of this and you are the director of this and you're the director of obstetric anesthesiology. And you've, you've kind of done a lot in your career as far as leadership and clinical medicine. And then you found yourself at a point where you burned out and then kind of pivoted. So I want to get into that, but first I want you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much. I'm Stephanie Byerly. And as Sasha said, I'm an anesthesiologist and I take care of obstetrical patients in a university setting and I love what I do every day. I'm also a mom of two daughters who are now 23 and 24 and it was a single parent basically since 2001. And I've held a lot of leadership positions where I work, and I've been very fortunate to be recognized for those, those uh, you know, things that I'm 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 good at. Um, not recognized for some of the things that I'm good at, which I think a lot of us experience. But I'm I'm just really excited where I am in my career, and just turned 55 yesterday. No way. And I feel better, <laughs> yes, and I feel better than I've ever felt in my life, and I'm just so excited about where my personal life and my professional life we're going. I love this because you're going to give so many women so much hope. So I love that as, as you have gone through your life and you gather experiences that you feel healthier and that you feel stronger, what, what point in your life, like what was the pivotal point in your life where you're like, I'm burned out. I have to make a change. 
I think it all started when I became a single mother and had the majority custody of both my daughters. I was full time where I work. I also held many major leadership roles. So a lot of responsibility. And I thought to myself, what, what is this really all about? I think when we all go into medicine, we want to help people. We think there's going to be this great pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I don't just mean money. I just mean your whole life is going to be great. We know four more years, four more years, four more years, and then we're going to get there. And then you get there and it, it presents a lot of different challenges at that point. And, and uh, I think then I really thought to myself, what am I doing? You know, I have to be a great mom. Um, I have to be great at work. How am I going to do all this? And I really started having to really look at my life and really deal with my past and my childhood, things that had happened to me, because I decided that my past was not going to affect my future anymore and went on a long, long journey, which I still am on that journey um, about really figuring out who I am. And I don't think until I was 40, I really even began to understand who, who am I? What do I really want to do with my life? What is so important to me? Hmm. I love that. So basically your tipping point was when you decided that your past was not going to affect your future. Yes. And was it hard to ask for help? It was hard at first because I think like many people, what I thought is if I really start delving into this, am I going to just become non-functional, like what is going to come up for me and how is it going to affect my day-to-day life? Because I was the sole supporter of my children and I I did not them want them to have the life that I had as a child. And But once I really started doing the work, it was so liberating and relieving that I just wanted to do it more and more. Mm-hmm. And I, I know people are really afraid of that kind of uh, therapy, but it, it really, it, it changed my life. I love this. And so there's so much, there's so much healing. I think when I think of you and I think about being around you and being in your presence, I always feel very calm and I always feel like very safe. And I know that that didn't come without a lot of work on yourself. And so how did you balance that with being this, you know, fierce leader, doctor, you know, single parent with then going into this place of healing? Like, how did you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to give myself the permission to heal and work on myself. Because I think sometimes when I think about times in my life where I need to really give myself permission to give my, to, to heal and give space to my own issues that I need to work on, I instantly start feeling guilty. Like somehow I'm not achieving enough or I'm not being ambitious enough, or I'm going to let someone down. How did you balance that? I think one of the biggest things that I really started working on in my life was my faith life. And I know that we all have different beliefs, but for me, that was something that was pivotal in my life and gave me more strength that I could ever have just by myself. So I, I had to understand, and I saw this in the operating room, like there's something bigger than me. There's people who are dying that are not supposed to die in the operating room and vice versa. So I knew that I had some control, but there was something bigger than me. And that was very, very important to me. But I really, I really had to say, you know, look where you've gotten in your life with where you came from and you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to set your mind to it. 
And it was a lot of hard work, but I knew I had to do it because I wanted to be a better mom. I didn't want my kids to suffer what I had gone through. And at work, even I could say that I used to be like a bull in a china shop. Uh, I I trained at a place where you sort of were supposed to act that way. And when I came where I am now, it was a very different place. And I struggled because of that. And I really had to get a hold of why I was that way and, and really kind kind of not exactly tone it down because I don't want to act like it was just because I was a woman, but I had to kind of get control of who I was going to be as a professional because I came from a place where the standards were very, very, very high. And I wanted to take that where I was now. And I got a lot of pushback from that. Mm, That's really interesting because (laughs) I think that there's a lot of us that, um, we, we become something oftentimes in our workplaces just based on survival. So whatever works, whatever gets the job done, that's what we become. But oftentimes that's in conflict with who we really are. And there's a lot, you know, written in the psychology literature about this, about how there's this, you know, our work fit doesn't match our personal fit. Like who we really are at home doesn't match who we have to be to survive at work. And I know that that is, often been a conflict for me at, at, in my job as well that I've had to kind of deal with and say, and one of the things that I've, that's helped me is to, and I talk about this in, in between grit and grace is using leading statements. So I know that there's times where I have to be really, um, authoritative and I know that actually I don't really like walking around and directing people and giving orders. That's not my thing. I'm, I'm a very independent person. So I value independence immensely. So I like to be in charge of Sasha, (laughs) but I don't actually like to be in charge of other people. So when I have to be in charge of other people and I have to like be a really authoritative, I've learned to use leading statements. So oftentimes I'll say like, I'm in charge right now, which means for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to be very authoritative. I don't, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings by the way I, my tone or the way I speak. And everybody kind of like takes a breath when I do that. But it's very interesting that we, as women find ourselves having to do that and men don't. Exactly. Very much exactly. And I, you know, when I, when I came to where I am, you know, they practice wonderful medicine here, but I just wanted to bring some new things and it was very different ideas. And, um, so I had to learn how to function in the system and be effective, uh, not be, I would say, but not be emotional about it. Mm. And when I really learned about different personality types and how to deal with different personality types and what my personality type was, that really helped me a lot. And I'm not going to say that I'm perfect at it now, but I still have some, you know, missteps some days, but I do a lot of apologizing, but I still, my motto is if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. Mm. I love that. And I love giving yourself the grace to, to, to change. And I think that's really important, like showing people, I mean, I hope that I'm not the same in, you know, when I've been doing this for 15 years as I was when I had been doing it my first year, I hope I'm different to people. And I hope people give, uh, you know, ourselves the grace to, to be better and to improve. I mean, I, I always cringe a little when I see someone in the media being blasted for something they said like 10 years ago. Cause I think, okay, do we not, are we not giving our, each other permission as humans to evolve into more mature and more understanding and better people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, I think we really have to be careful because, 
gosh, I mean, all of us have, have moments in our lives or years of our life where we weren't as mature or we weren't as, we didn't know what we know now, or we weren't as in control of our emotions, or we, we didn't understand our own personalities as much. So I hope that I'm more emotionally intelligent in 2020 than I was in 2010. And I hope nobody holds that against me, you know? Absolutely. And and I think going through medical training can lend to that sort of situation because we're so focused on what we're going to do that maybe we don't know who we really, really are for a while after Mm. we, you know, finish training and, and get into our real lives. And then it's time to figure it out. And you're like, wait, I've been doing this for so long, you know, pushing to become a doctor. Now, what do I really want to do with my life on the other part of being a doctor? Yes. So I love the the fact that you've really kind of thrown yourself into the wellness work and you speak a lot about this, you write about it. You know, you've written your an article about female physician wellness and the title, Are Our Expectations of Ourselves Extreme? And man, just the title really hits home. I mean, I can look at myself and how I criticize myself from head to toe often. And Am I being realistic? Am I having realistic expectations of all the things that Sasha can achieve in a day or this month or this year? What do you see or what what made you, you know, what are you seeing in women physicians specifically or women in the workplace, women executives, women in healthcare, women in business? What are you seeing that led you to write that article? I think for, for many years, I had a lot of female colleagues who were starting out and then having children and trying to balance everything that was going on in their lives and and seeing them get burned out. And so I wanted to put it in writing and say, this is really what women face. And we shouldn't feel like we're weak because we can't do it all. We do more than 80% of the domestic duties, you know, in the home life. And no matter how much of an egalitarian marriage you think you're going to start out with, the majority of the time it doesn't turn out that way. And you pretty much end up running the show at work, running the you know show at home. But I think women aren't prepared for this. And when this starts happening, they feel so isolated and that it's only happening to them or these things that are happening to them at work are maybe only happening to them. And what we do is we internalize it and we blame ourselves because we say we're not enough. What can we do more so that people will recognize us? And we tend to never say no because we think that that's going to make us look bad. And it's actually true because in whatever business situation, medicine or, you know, financial businesses, men are allowed to say no. That's expected of them to actually say no. But for women, it's not okay to say no. And And, yes, this is, it's like an epic, it's like you are all of a sudden the room gets quiet. Right. And, and, you know, this, the gender bias issue, which a lot of this is what is underlying all this women do it to other women. And if you look at say a private practice setting and there's a male and female partners, the women in the business part are the office staff is going to come to the woman to say, Hey, can you get the Christmas gifts for everybody? Hey, can you break brownies for the meeting tomorrow? And they would most likely never ask the male partner to do that. And we feel obligated to do it because if we don't, we're going to be looked at as the B word. And, and, you know, that's just, it's just not fair, but we do that in every area. So we take more call. If you're in medicine, we write more papers. We try to be on more committees, but we don't actually get the same opportunities as men get 
in many of the professional aspects. Yes. And I think that, you know, I just recently wrote something that I've been just seeing right and left lately, which is this mass exodus of women leaving medicine. And I mean, I just, I can't believe how many women I know that have left medicine this year compared to the year before compared to the year before. And I, I wonder like, everyone's like, Oh wow. What's going on? <laughs> like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like, right. like, you know, none of these women left medicine just abruptly. Like they didn't walk in on a Monday and they were like fine on Friday and no one knew like they have been trying to change the system or trying to express frustration for gender bias that they've faced or lack of promotion or lack of sponsorship or just not being, you know, being told, well, maybe you got to do this other thing. You know, I'm like, if I hear one more person tell a woman to go get extra training or extra coursework on this or that, and I see men being just promoted right and left with very similar experience levels, but not told, well, then you need to go do this. And then you need to, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I really, I'm, I'm scared for us, Steph. Like I'm, I look around and I'm like, gosh, the women we're losing, they're, they're really talented women. And I think that we have to look at our systems and go, guess what? There are women in every system that could lead tomorrow that don't need another leadership course or don't need, you know, this or that, or just a few more papers or a grant or whatever, they can lead tomorrow. And that's, what's going to change the system. It's when we have more than one woman around a table going, wait a second, that's not going to work because you're not thinking about maternity leave. Wait a second. That's not going to work because you're paying her less than him. Wait a second. That's not going to work because you just picked a panel of five white men between the ages of 55 and 65 when we have these other people that can talk about this. So it's like, if you don't have somebody and not just one person, but multiple people sitting around a table thinking of these issues, nothing changes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I really want to, I want to, it is unfortunate. And I want to hear from you, like, because you've kind of lived through the leadership, you know, you've lived through the time where, you know, you put your head down, you do the work. And now we've also heard you say you've never felt better and you have more balance. You have, you have something outside of medicine that you're developing and you're really caring about well-being and health and how this helps you be a better doctor. I want to hear you talk about that because I think that is so opposite of what our current health systems think. I would say one thing that I really learned is that I lost my sense of empathy. And I think a lot of us do that. And when I was on, started on this journey, when I was 40 was really understanding why I became a doctor, because I think oftentimes we forget that we all say we want to become a doctor because we want to help people. And then our lives and, and the systems that we work in sort of take that away. And once I started working on getting my empathy back and really seeing patients as these people that need our help, especially for what you and I do in these critical situations. And I really, that really started to help me on my journey. And 
I started really realizing, you know, these people need my help. Yes, I it's this. I, if I don't get home till nine o'clock tonight, I might have to find an extra babysitter. But this is what my calling in life was and what I wanted to do. And so along with the system changes that I do where I work and, and working on nationally, what I really started reflecting on was all of the experiences. And I'm one of these people who believes everything happens for a reason. And I look back at my life and I look back at my childhood and why I became a doctor and the things I've experienced throughout doing this and personal relationships. And I really realized all of this happened so that I could get where I am today because I, I feel like I have a calling that's bigger than what I do now. And I'm supposed to help more people in a different way. And so I, I look back at all these experiences and I'm, I just feel like I have a lot of resources to help other people that are struggling through Mm. this because we don't need to suffer in silence. No. And we've all sacrificed a great deal to become physicians. And we sacrifice even more as our life goes on with being a physician. I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. I love to go to work every day, but but I'm not going to say that it's easy. And I really want to help people in a different way besides my clinical work in helping them get through this struggle where it doesn't need to be as difficult. And do you find that women, because you and I both mentor or sponsor both men and women, we both work in academia, we have, and I think that the way men and women express burnout and loss of empathy is different. And I find that men get angry and women withdraw like emotionally. Um, But I think that like men in some ways are better about just like taking two months off. Like they'll just quit for two months and like everything for two months and just put it on hold to get better. Where I see women like they have this guilt complex. Like not only are they burned out, but then they feel guilty they're burned out. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't know. Do you, do you see this? I do see this. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the gender bias, but from other people, but also what we do to ourselves. So even, even though a lot of us know about gender bias, a lot of people don't know what gender bias is and they don't understand that it also has to do with the way they were raised and how their mothers were and their fathers and what was expected of them. So even though we see ourselves as these great professional women that we are, we have people's lives in our hands every day, there's still that part of us that being a woman and we, we are judged, we judge ourselves and we're judged by everybody else. And women, we just, like you said, we have this guilt and a lot of the times we don't know where it's coming from. But a lot of it is realistic. I remember the days of trying to go to events at my kids' school when I could get off of work and the and the stay-at-home moms were frankly mean to me and they treated me as an outsider because who are you to walk in today when you're not here every day like we are? Mm-hmm. And that was painful. But I will tell you that in talking to my two adult daughters, they will say to me now they were so grateful that I wasn't one of the moms that was there every day. I mean, they really appreciated those moms, but they said you were a great role model and not that's why we are who we are today. Yes, that's, you know, you told me that once and it helped me when I was struggling with mom guilt, which I think everybody struggles with because we all know whether we stay at home or whether we work, we, we always feel like we should be doing more or we shouldn't take this trip or we, you know, it's crazy all the things that we tell ourselves. And 
I think that we have to, when women kind of break down those barriers and when we start seeing one another for just being women and not being a doctor or lawyer or teacher or an executive or a stay-at-home mom, but we, we recognize we're all we're really struggling with very similar things. And physician women, I think, are so isolated during the day and in their jobs um, that they're such at risk. We know they're at risk for higher rates of suicide and higher rates of, of substance abuse. Um, and it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I know there's been times where I've gone to the soccer field and I've seen a group of moms. And, you know, for years I was like, oh, they wouldn't, they don't, they would, they don't want to talk to me. They wouldn't like me. They're, they're judging me. But when I tried to, when I slowly started kind of overcoming my own self-doubt and my own, like, you know, shame about not being present all the time, I started to see that most of the time we're a lot of like, you know, and, and it's really interesting, but, um, but I wanted to, to talk a little bit because I, we're running out of time, but I wanted to talk a little okay. bit about what is the next step for you? What are you doing? How can people get, you know, follow you? You speak a lot. How can people get to know you? Thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm actually working towards becoming a life coach and starting school for that at the end of this month. And I'm actually coaching some people already. And I'm very, very excited about that because I want to be able to offer that to professional women and female physicians, because I do feel like I've been through a lot and personally and professionally. And I want to be able to help people put their lives together. I, I know that when I was struggling, I felt like my life was just this out of control, swirling blob. And when you can really start putting things in perspective and making a plan and talking about each part of your life and what you're going to do, I think that makes a big difference. And I think all of us feel like knowledge is power and it gives us a little bit more strength when things seem out of control. So I'm really hoping um, that I can be able to start doing that shortly and as long with, along with my clinical career and um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and could be contacted there. I would love to hear from people and um, be able to help more people in a different way. That is so awesome. Well, I hope that you enjoyed listening today and I hope that we've given you some pearls. If you're facing a difficult time in your life, if you're facing a period of time where you just need to give yourself space and grace to heal, Give yourself permission to do that. It's so hard. And we often think that we're going to let someone down or that we're going to screw up others' expectations of us, but we have to do what's best for our own mental health and well-being. And so give yourself, sister, if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, this is me. I really need to heal this part of my past or I need to really invest in my health and well-being. Do it. No one else is going to you know, show up and give you an extra hour of your day or give you permission to heal yourself. Only you can do that. So thank you, Steph, for coming on. And as always, live brave. This has been an HSG production. 